following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Listen as I read Galatians 5, verses 7 and following. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we would ask that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of each of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our everlasting redeemer. Amen. One of our Christmas gifts to our family was a Blu-ray edition, kind of an anniversary edition of the 1981 Academy Award-winning film, Chariots of Fire. And our children had not seen it before, and we were pleased to share this classic tale with them the story of two British runners, Eric Little and Harold Abrahams, two men of vastly different beliefs, and yet shared the common skill, the ability to run very fast. Eric Little was the son of Scottish missionaries to China. He was a godly man, a man committed to a calling into missions And one of the subplots of the story is his sister Jenny, who struggles with his pursuit of running and his freedom to run, and she kind of hinders him in his training and preparation for the 1924 Olympic Games in Paris. And at one point in the movie, Eric says to his sister Jenny that he pledges himself, he commits himself to the call of missions. Yet he also believes God has given him a temporary calling to compete in the Olympic Games as a testimony to Christ, but also because he has been gifted, and when he runs, he feels God's pleasure. Eric Little will go on to demonstrate incredible integrity and courage as he refuses to compete on the Sabbath day and disqualifies himself from competing in the 100-meter dash, his best event. Uh, 
And as circumstances and kindness of one of his teammates would have it, he would go on to be the underdog champion of the 400 meters. Meanwhile, Harold Abrahams is a man of no faith, a man who has rejected his Jewish heritage, embracing a kind of modern secular skepticism. And at one point in the film, when Abrahams is going through a kind of identity crisis, he admits to his mistress that when he competes, when he runs, he has a mere 10 seconds to justify his existence. Two vastly different worldviews. A vivid contrast between the man who has true freedom through faith in Jesus Christ and the one who is in despair due to the slavish obedience to the flesh. I believe Paul establishes a similar distinction here in Galatians chapter 5, contrasting the law with faith, the flesh with the spirit, and in our text, true freedom with, this, with bondage. And I believe our passage helps illumine what is it that hinders our Christian freedom? How is it that we can abuse our freedom? And what is the truest expression of our freedom in Jesus Christ? On verse 7, Paul begins with a racing analogy from the arena. He commends the Galatian believers for running well. They were on pace, on track, until someone has cut in and hindered them from making progress in their race. In fact, hindering them from obeying the truth. And this point of truth is precisely the very gospel of salvation, which rests completely on the perfect and finished work of Jesus Christ. So these believers are actually disobeying that gospel by, by being hindered and following the instructions of what has been called the Judaizers, a, a pharisaical-oriented group of Jewish missionaries and preachers who were preaching a, a gospel that required the Jews to submit to the laws of Moses in circumcision in particular— And in fact, these believers now are essentially disobeying the gospel, failing to trust in the finished work of Christ by putting their confidence in the flesh. Paul contends that this persuasion is not from God, is merely the will of flesh. This is the will of man. This is a false gospel, as you tried to contend and lay this out in prior months. You see, it's it's the pressure these believers are facing from a kind of religious zeal that puts confidence in what we do rather than confidence in the work of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Paul will go on to use a, a baking analogy where a little leaven leavens the whole lump. If you know anything about yeast and and bread, that yeast spreads throughout the entire dough to make it rise. And the point is that a little bit of false teaching spoils the doctrine of the whole church. It works its way in and taints the whole system of doctrine, leaving error and sometimes 
even heresy. Jesus warned his disciples against the yeast of the Pharisees, a kind of legalism, a mixture of faith and works to secure one's salvation. You see, faith in Christ plus my good works does not merit salvation. Rather, that is a false gospel. See, the the weakness and vulnerability on our part, as it was in the Galatians, is that, that we're tempted to misbelieve that God has provided everything that we need. It is hard for us in our flesh to trust in the complete and finished work of Jesus Christ. We have this fleshly tendency to add to it. I, I've got to do my part. I, you know, it's not, what Christ has done is not enough. And if I am going to be accepted before God, I must make my own contribution. But as Paul says elsewhere, that leaves us grounds for boasting. And when it comes to the gospel... We have no grounds. We have nothing to boast in but completely the finished work of Christ. And so, believer, I commend to you, if this is a struggle of yours, to rest your hope in the track record of the Lord our God. To trust him who has been faithful to redeem his people throughout history, from Egypt, in the wilderness, throughout exile, and at the cross of Jesus Christ, we have a God who has finished the work of redemption on our behalf. And so it is that we struggle to obey the truth of the gospel, even in the weakness of our faith. And so likewise, these Galatian believers are struggling with a weak and vulnerable faith. And nevertheless, in verse 10, Paul is confident as he, he appeals to them, He's confident that they will take his view in mind. He's confident that they will come around to their senses, firstly because he believes they're truly converted. He believes they are converted, and yet they are confused, having been influenced by uh, these false teachers. See, Paul here is like a track coach. And he knows that his champion racer has more left in the tank And he wants to encourage him to to press on, to finish the course, to not fade back out of fatigue or discouragement. Paul goes on in his own defense in verse 11 to respond to his critics and attackers. And apparently there was a false report uh, going around that Paul was teaching the requirement of circumcision for Gentile male converts to Christianity. And yes, it's true that Paul did have his young disciple, Timothy, circumcised because he was of Jewish descent, and he did not want Timothy to serve as a stumbling block for Jewish believers. But in other cases, Gentile converts like Titus and others, Paul refused, refused to have them undergo circumcision to preserve the integrity and purity of the gospel message. Paul even goes on here to point out the the ill logic of his attackers by pointing out the fact that he's the one suffering persecution and being attacked by these so-called Jewish uh, missionaries because Paul refuses to yield to their pressure tactics and their attacks. You know, for Paul, too much was at stake. 
the integrity and the purity of the gospel was too important to surrender on this point. In fact, he goes on to say that it was the Judaizers, his opponents, who were teaching circumcision in order to avoid persecution from their fellow Jews, who were insisting that circumcision was required and not the cross of Christ alone for one to be accepted as righteous before her holy God. Well, to drive his point down firmly, Paul uses hyperbole. In verse 12, with graphic language that is troublesome to some folks, it's here that Paul expresses a wish that these false teachers would go all the way, as it says in the NIV, and emasculate themselves. And I would agree with the scholars who interpret this to say that Paul is not advocating mutilation, but is making a comparison with the practice of pagan priests who would castrate themselves out of devotion to the cult goddess Cybele, which was centered in the Galatian area, a, a cult practice which would have been very familiar to the Galatian believers. Paul is essentially saying he wishes these false teachers would cut themselves off. They would disqualify themselves from the race. They would get off the course. Just as a Jewish men who were, had damaged genitalia were disqualified from the priesthood. So these men have disqualified themselves as ministers of the gospel. They had cut themselves off from the grace of God by their false teaching and are leading others astray. They are, be, they are to be dismissed, to be ignored by believers who would obey the truth. When I was in school, I hated long-distance running. I was a short-distance runner. I enjoyed playing football and baseball, sports where you sprinted in short bursts, whether it was trying to reach the end zone, a base, or catch a ball. My sons, however, enjoy cross-country, and our family has gotten engaged with this long-distance running sport, and I've learned that it's, it requires a different kind of skill to be a long-distance runner. You, you have to know your body. You, you have to know the field. You have to know the competition well, and you have to learn how to dig deep to bring up those resources in order to finish well late in a race. And I believe it's true that, that what most hinders runners is hindrances of the mind, fear, fatigue, frustration. And I think the same can be true for the Christian life. We are hindered by fear. By fatigue, by frustration, we fall into fear that we're not doing enough that we haven't done enough to please God, that we have not satisfied his requirements, or we slip into fatigue, worn out and tired in our faith, our struggle to resist temptation. We are vulnerable to frustration. With the ongoing remnants of our sin that dog at us, that nip at our heels as we race along on our course. 
Well, fellow believers, you face these kinds of challenges in your race. I encourage you to take to heart the message that Paul has to the believers 2,000 years ago that apply to us today. It's a message of hope and confidence. Even as these believers are struggling, even as they are vulnerable, even as they are weak, even as they are fatigued, even as they are confused, Paul is confident that they will come around. He is confident not because of them, but because of the power of the gospel. He is confident that the gospel is what you and I need to boldly face our fears. The gospel is what gives us energy to overcome our fatigue, to be reminded that our labors are not in vain. It's the gospel that encourages us to press on, to not give up, to not throw in the towel, but to run well, to finish the race for the glory of God and the crown that he promises to those who faithfully follow him to the end. Well, moving on to verse 13 and onward, we, just as we looked at the hindrance to freedom, we also Paul find that Paul addresses the potential to abuse freedom. And echoing back from verse 1 of chapter 5, where he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Now he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. And here Paul warns us, not to abuse our freedom. Well, what are some of the ways that we can abuse Christian freedom? Well, I highlight three from our text. Namely, the indulging of our flesh, the exploiting of our neighbors, and the disregard of God's law. You see, the gospel teaches us that we are forgiven in Christ. And that is good news. It is good news that we are forgiven and free by the grace of God in Christ. But there's also a temptation. Because if you're forgiven and it's free grace, we're tempted to license. But friend, the the gospel message teaches that though we are forgiven in Christ and forgiven of our sins, we do not have a license to sin. See, Once we are forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ, our freedom calling beckons us to put sin to death, not indulge in it further. I believe that every new believer in Christ at some point or another begins to realize that he or she is still tempted. And a lot of the ways and a lot of the sin patterns that afflicted him or her before coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And those who have walked with God for a long time know that the temptations of the flesh are strong. And we are bombarded with lies from the world and our enemy with the false promises that if we would just indulge a little, if we would just satisfy our sinful desires, then we will be happy. And that what does it matter anyway? You're forgiven, right? God will just forgive, right? And we're tempted into this worldly, tainted logic And uh, Paul says to not yield to the opportunities of the flesh. And the opportunities are all over the place. We we are surrounded, we are inundated with opportunities to indulge the flesh, to compromise on our Christian integrity. Uh, we We are fed excuses every day to indulge further and further into our desires. Our desires, whether they be eating and drinking, 
spending, looking at things on the internet, fantasizing about inappropriate relationships, listening to and, and viewing things that titillate unhealthy and unholy desires. Well, we can also abuse our freedom, not just with indulging our flesh, but by exploiting our neighbors. We we have a calling in our freedom to love our neighbors, and yet in our flesh, in the abuse of our freedom, we are tempted to covet our neighbors, to judge our neighbors, to criticize other people, to ignore them, to neglect them, to use them for our own selfish gain. And this can apply to believers or non-believers, to people in the church, people outside the church. We think ill of people. We speak ill of people. We fail to show respect, to be as gracious as we ought to be, to demonstrate patience, to confess our sins, to show grace and forgiveness, to exercise biblical peacemaking. There's all kinds of ways that we can abuse and neglect our freedom in Christ towards our neighbors. But thirdly, we also can abuse our freedom by ignoring and disregarding God's law. Because just because we're no longer bound by the Old Testament law, just because we are not obligated to circumcision and the rites and rituals of the Mosaic law, it doesn't mean we can just simply ignore God's holy law. You know, once I said before that we are a nation of laws. We're a nation under laws. We, we live under the rule of law, and yet in many ways, our society is lawless. And we live with constant pressure to overthrow and undercut traditional morality and the laws of society. And we also live in a, in a culture, I believe, I mean, there's just this insidious thinking where, you know, rules are good, but they apply to other people, Right? I can speed a little faster. I can park wherever I want to. We, we tend to think, we tend to excuse ourselves or the rules while the rules got to apply to everybody else. You know, we tend to treat laws as mere suggestions rather than requirements. We have a tendency in our fallen flesh to be a law unto ourselves. And so I just highlight these three areas where I believe we can abuse our freedom. Whether it's in the indulgence of our flesh, the exploiting of our neighbors, the ignoring of God's law. And I remind you once again that, that remember where you are at. You, you are here. You are here in America, the freest nation on earth, a culture that loves freedom. We worship freedom. We have songs about freedom. It means all about freedom and free expression all around us. It's freedom to a fault. And yes, we have freedom to worship. Praise God. Praise God, we can still gather unhindered and unpersecuted at this stage in history. But I believe we are surrounded and tempted by a false spirit of indulgence, moving us, wooing us to abuse our freedom. It it enters into our minds and hearts, and it's everywhere. It's leaking all over the place. It's, It's in our internet access. It's on our handheld devices. It's in our access to social media. It's lurking at the movie theater. It's at the shopping malls and the places where we work and live and shop and do commerce. There are attitudes and assumptions urging us to express and indulge a freedom that throws off rules, but is not a true freedom in Christ. It's bondage. It's slavery. 
It's an abuse of the God-given design and freedom that he has for us in Christ Jesus. Because truly, the, the kind of freedom celebrated in our culture today is really a bondage, an enslavement to the weakness and fault and failures of the flesh. But I want to shift gears towards the end here to talk about what true freedom is. In contrast to these three abuses, the expressions of true freedom, as I believe detailed by Paul in verses 13 and 14, are at least three things. That true Christian freedom means self-control. It means loving service, and it also means godly obedience. You know, rather than just let ourselves go, to indulge ourselves in our desires, to give our more opportunity for our flesh, which only leads us into slavish bondage, we have dignity in Christ to exercise real self-control. Now, self-control is not a popular message today. You, you don't find lots of popular you know, self-esteem, self-control messages in our schools and our public media and, and so forth. Uh, we live in a day and age where, where there's an excuse for everything. We excuse away and explain away crimes and misdemeanors and misbehaviors of all kinds. But the biblical truth is, is that all human beings are made in God's image. We are made and endowed with dignity. And yet, fallen and broken as we are through Jesus Christ, we are restored. We are restored back to that creation ideal to walk in godliness according to the design of our maker. Now, the modern age has been trying desperately for as long as any historian can remember to set man free from the tyranny of tradition and morality and religion. But it's Christ that truly has set us free from the tyranny of self. We've been set free from the tyranny of our own sinful desires. We are made in God's image, being remade in the likeness of Christ with true freedom. The dignity of self-control and a likeness in a manner that pleases God. I believe, secondly, our true freedom in Christ, not only does it mean self-control, it means the freedom to love and to serve. See, we're actually free from self-love. We're free from self-service, which are more forms of bondage and slavery according to our fallen flesh. In Christ Jesus, we have been set free by the one who has demonstrated the greatest act of love and service humanity has ever seen. Who is the most free? Is the one who serves self or is the one who serves others? Our culture says it's the one who has a freedom to serve self. But no, Scripture says that one who is truly free is the one who is free to serve. Look at Jesus Christ, the ultimate free man, the most free human being, the most loving human being the world has ever seen, the true lover of our souls, the one who had everything, who was crowned in glory and honor and wealth and praise, who not out of duty and obligation or any sense of hand-turning or arm-twisting, freely laid aside his crown of glory to enter into a world of sorrow and darkness and burden and travail to show us his Father's glory. To teach us the way 
of love, to enter into our plights and burdens, to carry our sorrows. Who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Truly free is the one who is free from being consumed with his or her own needs and is able to serve the needs of others in the loving likeness of Jesus Christ. You know, many people were tempted to see freedom as merely a retreat from others to do what only we want to do. And sure enough, you and I both have many demands at home and at work. And in our flesh, we just want to get away. And sure enough, Jesus withdrew from the crowds on many occasions when he was taxed and weary and needed rest, but he usually did it to meet with his father, to invest himself in in the twelve and in the three and to prepare and equip himself to go back out and to serve the masses and to meet their needs. You see, freedom is not simply a freedom to withdraw to ignore others, to become self-absorbed. True freedom is the freedom to love and to serve in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Well, our third calling of true expression of freedom is the freedom to obey, the freedom to pursue godly obedience. And Jesus was asked to summarize the law, and he summarized it with, with one command, to love the Lord your God all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Well, Paul says the same thing here in verse 14. The whole law is summarized in this one word, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. You see, freedom in Christ is not lawless. We're not this lawless anarchy tyranny Rather, we've been set free from the law as this burden. If you are in Christ, the law is no longer your taskmaster. It is no longer your guardian. It's no longer your tutor. It's no longer this burden. It's not this legalistic righteousness, anxiety, pressure. It's the living will of God. It's the joy and the privilege of the redeemed of how to pursue holiness and righteousness. Believer, Jesus Christ has fully satisfied the righteous requirements of the law on your behalf. Something you and I could never do. The law is now a joy. The law is a blessing. The law is a privilege. The law is a guideline to help as we seek to please our Father, which was the very joy and delight of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Before Christmas, the grandparents got our children a trampoline, and they hardly need it, need it the way they bounce off the walls without it. But we'll wait until the spring thaw and the ground is solid before we set up a trampoline in our backyard, and our kids are looking forward to the newfound freedom of defying gravity, just a few more feet as they learn tricks and bouncing and flipping around on a, a new trampoline. But as you well know, all the fun and the benefits of trampling come with the risks and the dangers, as I found out with the only bone I ever broke when I was 12 years old and flew off a trampoline and fractured an ankle. Well, to help avoid these types of injuries, these tramplings now come with guards, with like a netting that goes around the circumference of the trampoline as a barrier, as a protection. And, it, and it's a reminder that we need boundaries. 
our freedoms need limits. I'm sure we'll have to impose other rules upon our children. Only so many kids bounce at one time to hinder uh, an accident, but also to teach the children how to enjoy not just their own freedom, but to enjoy watching other people display their uh, uh, Olympic flipping abilities as well. The law and the limits and the rules serve to enhance our freedom, to expand our freedom, to to enjoy the design and, and the blessings God intends for us and also gives us an opportunity to serve others in love. We've considered from this text how believers were being hindered in their freedom, how they have been tempted to abuse their freedom, and we've recovered this idea of expressing our true freedom in Christ through self-control, loving service, and joyful obedience. But Paul has one final warning in verse 15. It's this warning that we can still spoil our freedom through our selfishness, through the selfish breakdown of communication and the tearing down of community. In the likeness of wild animals or even wild children, Paul warns against biting and devouring one another and to not be consumed with one another. Do not eat each other alive by insisting your own way, by demanding your own rights, by indulging your own freedom, by having a me-first mentality. You see, true freedom is not me-first or demanding our rights, or the freedom to say or to do whatever it is we please. Rather, the biblical calling of freedom is a calling to die to self, to honor and respect one another. And it's the kind of freedom that is fully realized in the Holy Trinity, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, free to love and to give and to serve and to exalt one another forever endeavor into holy glory. So let me commend us, brothers and sisters, that we might run well. And do not let others hinder your freedom in Christ by false obligations that are a perversion of the gospel. But may you run well on the freedom to which God has called you heavenward in Christ Jesus. May you run faster. May you jump higher. May you climb farther. May you express the glorious freedom to which you were called in Christ to bring praise and honor and glory to God the Father forever and ever. Amen. The gracious God our Father, we are grateful for the freedom we have in Christ. That we, ours is not the burden of the law or ritualistic duty or false obligations, but we have in Jesus Christ one who has met and satisfied every requirement of the law and that we are acceptable in your sight through his righteous blood shed for us. And I pray that you would help us to preserve that pure gospel, that you would help us to preserve that freedom, that you would guard us from abusing it, neglecting it, from allowing it to be twisted by the world. And may we be a people set apart for the praise of your glorious grace, through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.